Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 581 for the 25th of February, 2018. This week, the open source LibreOffice suite exceeds Microsoft's Office suite in some regards and falls short in others. There are good reasons to choose LibreOffice. There are good reasons not to. And we'll consider some of each. In short circuits, there is no shortage of people who would very much like to obtain your tax refund, whether you're due a tax refund or not. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to foil their attempts. More computers are now running Windows 10 than Windows 7 worldwide. In the U.S., Windows 10 has been ahead of Windows 7 for a year and finally moved past the 50% adoption rate in January. In spare parts, only on the website, the IRS and the Free File Alliance are once again providing free online tax filing resources for those with basic tax situations. Intel has released a new update for some of its CPUs to fix a security flaw. The new code is only for a subset of chips, and you'll need to wait for the computer manufacturer to provide it. The next generation of consumers seems to prefer online talking robots to websites or trips to stores. Open source office suites such as OpenOffice and LibreOffice have a lot of advantages. First, there's the price to consider, free. And the fact that the open source applications can sometimes open files that cause Microsoft applications to crash. But there are disadvantages too, and they need to be considered. A few weeks ago, we looked at Google's suite of online applications and found that they sometimes omit features that users of Microsoft Office take for granted. The same kinds of issues are likely to vex Office suite users who switch to OpenOffice or LibreOffice. And for this comparison, I'm going to use LibreOffice, and you might wonder, why not OpenOffice? Well, it's kind of a long story. You might know that LibreOffice grew from OpenOffice, which grew from StarOffice, which was acquired by Sun Microsystems, which was acquired by Oracle. In other words, the background is complicated, and understanding the differences between OpenOffice and LibreOffice requires at least a brief look at that history. Sun Microsystems was a company with a lot of progressive ideas, but Oracle acquired Sun in 2009, and those who were involved with the open source projects such as OpenOffice and MySQL were worried about the future of those projects. The OpenOffice community created the Document Foundation as a way to ensure the project's survival. Well, Oracle didn't like that and those who were still concerned about the future created LibreOffice as a fork of OpenOffice. Software forks are fairly common in open source applications. One happens when disagreements occur between sets of developers and they agree to go their separate ways with future work. So OpenOffice continued on its path and LibreOffice started with the OpenOffice codebase and is now on its own separate path. In 2011, Oracle gave OpenOffice to Apache, 
It's now actually called Apache Open Office. Both suites are free for Windows, Linux, or Mac. Both have applications for word processing, spreadsheets, presentations, and databases. In fact, both of them share much of the same code. But LibreOffice development has been faster. Part of the reason for this is the Apache OpenOffice uses the Apache license, and LibreOffice uses both the GNU Lesser General Public License, known as LGPLv3, and the Mozilla Public License. As a result, LibreOffice can incorporate OpenOffice code in LibreOffice, but OpenOffice cannot incorporate LibreOffice code in the OpenOffice code. Okay, that's a little confusing, right? What that jumble of words means is that even in the short term, it's clear that the arrangement favors LibreOffice developers. For example, LibreOffice includes useful features such as font embedding that are not available in OpenOffice. So while neither of the Office suites would be a bad choice, the LibreOffice suite seems to be the better long-term choice. But before you run out and acquire one of the open-source suites, consider how you react to change. Change can be painful. On Tuesday, I responded to a question from a person who had used a Mac for 20 years and has lately been wondering whether she might possibly consider a Windows computer. Now, that, this whole topic might seem out of place in a discussion of office suites, but stick with me for just a moment. It is really about change. I responded this way. If you like the Mac, stick with it. There's no good reason to change operating systems regardless of which you use. There are significant differences that will annoy no matter which way you go. A friend of mine let her boss talk her into buying a Mac. She tried valiantly to like it but could never overcome the differences, now detests the Mac, and will never buy another one. The same, doubtless, would have been true had she switched from a Mac to a Windows machine. I have both a Mac and a Windows machine right here in front of me. I'm comfortable with both of them, but then again, I'm a geek. I never, never recommend one system over the other, and arguments about which is better are simply absurd. So, in the current context, here's my message. If you're happy with Microsoft's Office Suite or OpenOffice, there's no reason to consider LibreOffice. The same is true if you prefer WordPerfect Office, Google's online Office Suite, or many of the other suites such as WPS, SoftMaker Free Office, Zoho Workspace, or Open365. And there are lots of others. Change for the sake of change is rarely worth the effort. So what kind of differences should you expect? Sometimes unexpected differences can cause distress that exceeds all reasonable expectations. Here's an example. Some applications require that text documents have an extra carriage return between paragraphs. Importing text from a word processor document to a website development application is a good example. In Microsoft Office, this is accomplished by opening the search dialog using Control-H searching for caret p and replacing it with caret p caret p. The caret p signifies a paragraph break. If you try this with LibreOffice, you'll be told the search term wasn't found. That's because LibreOffice Writer uses what are called regular expressions. Entire books have been written on regular expressions because they can be complex and tedious, but only the basics are needed here. 
Let's start by looking at the reverse change, and you'll see some images of this on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Replacing two carriage returns with a single return is a more common need. The user would open the search dialog box, Control-H, the same as in Word, and then expand the Other Options selection. Select Regular Expressions, and then search for caret dollar sign, and replace it with nothing. Caret dollar sign. Regular expressions use the caret symbol, that's the little up-pointing arrow, to indicate the beginning of a line, and the dollar sign to indicate the end of a line. To a word processor, each paragraph is actually just a single line of text. That line of text is wrapped when it's displayed or printed. That means an empty paragraph has a beginning and an end with nothing in between. Caret dollar sign. So doing this in Word involves searching for caret p caret p and replacing with just a single caret p. Kind of sounds like we're making vegetable soup, doesn't it? Well, anyway, adding an extra return between paragraphs is a little more complicated in LibreOffice. The user would need to search for a single line ending or a paragraph ending. That's signified by the dollar sign. And replace it with backslash n backslash n. Where'd that come from? Maybe you were expecting dollar sign dollar sign to be used as a replacement. But if you do that, you will eliminate all the paragraph endings, but you'll replace them with two dollar signs, literally. LibreOffice does provide excellent documentation for the regular expression characters that the application uses, but you'll still need to learn them. Small differences such as this one can be very vexing. File formats can be problematic too, but only marginally. OpenOffice and LibreOffice both write files that have extensions beginning with OD, standing for Open Document. Writer files are ODT for documents and OTT for templates. Spreadsheets have ODS and OTS extensions. Presentations use ODP and OTP extensions, and so on. All of the applications can save their files using Microsoft's formats, either the older formats, the ones used in Office 97 through Office 2003, or the newer XML-based formats that have been in use since Office 2007. Each application can also save in formats used by other programs. This can be very important if you need to share files with others or use them as source documents for applications that can't read the open document formats. LibreOffice writer documents must be converted to Microsoft's format before they can be imported into Adobe's InDesign, for example. Many templates and extensions are available for LibreOffice. These allow users to expand and adapt the application to suit their needs. More than 300 extension projects offer a total of nearly 800 specific releases. Cross-platform compatibility is better with LibreOffice, but just slightly. Microsoft Office is compatible with Windows and Mac OS computers. LibreOffice adds Linux computers. LibreOffice also has a portable version that runs from a thumb drive and needs no installation. Surprisingly, LibreOffice actually has more localizations, 112 different languages, as compared to Microsoft's 91. The most significant shortcoming overall for LibreOffice is the lack of a personal information manager, task manager, and email program, such as Microsoft's Outlook. Other open-source applications are available to handle those tasks, but they are not integrated with the Office suite. 
LibreOffice uses an interface that looks more like a pre-ribbon version of Microsoft Office. Some people will see that as a shortcoming. Others will view it as a benefit because, after all, the ribbon interface is still not universally loved. It's also possible to create a new document of any type from within any LibreOffice document. If you need to create a spreadsheet while you're in Writer, just select File New and select Spreadsheet. Now that's not a huge time saver, but it does eliminate the need to open Excel from the Start menu or Taskbar. So let's take a look at some of the differences between the actual applications themselves. Start with Writer versus Word. LibreOffice Writer supports direct output to the EPUB ebook format. It has better support for text frames, allows complex calculations in tables, and offers master document capabilities for multi-file documents. Word's master document function is still included in the suite, but it has been deprecated because it frequently causes file corruption. Word's reading mode and the ability to expand and collapse parts of documents are not supported in LibreOffice, and collaboration features are limited when compared to Word. How about Calc versus Excel? Calc eliminates one of Excel's most vexing problems. Users who copy cells in Excel and then do anything else before pasting the cells will find that the copied information is no longer available. Calc allows the user to copy cells, perform other actions, and then paste the copied cells. Calc includes styles that can be applied to pages, not just cells. Excel can handle far larger sheets than Calc can, 16,384 columns compared to Calc's 1,024. Chart styles are considerably better in Excel than in Calc, and Excel has better support for multi-core CPUs, which improves overall performance. Third, a quick look at Impress versus PowerPoint. Impress can export files to HTML format, but PowerPoint no longer can. It used to be able to do that, but that has been removed. PowerPoint has more extensive functions for embedded videos and allows some modifications to presentations as they're being shown. It also has internal functions for recording a presentation. And finally, Base versus Access. Access natively connects to Microsoft SQL Server databases and can retain field formats when importing a table from a spreadsheet. Base cannot retain field formats from an imported table and it can connect to a Microsoft SQL Server database only by using the Open Database Connectivity, ODBC. Base, however, offers better support for SQL with syntax highlighting and can natively connect to a Java database. So what's the bottom line here? Well, for me, it's this. Four cats and LibreOffice is well worth considering. One single office suite with every feature that every user would want does not exist. But each of the suites has strengths and weaknesses. The LibreOffice suite has all of the features that most users will need, works on all three major platforms, and is provided without cost. And if you check out this article on the TechBiter Worldwide website, there's this note. The topic was written and edited in LibreOffice Writer before being imported into Adobe Dreamweaver. You'll find additional details on the LibreOffice website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website.
In short circuits, scammers want your tax refund. If you have an income tax refund coming, make sure it comes to you instead of going to a scammer. Crooks sometimes posing as IRS agents try to obtain sufficient information to file for the victim's refund. The IRS warns about this every year, but the threat seems to be worse than normal. The crooks may even file for a refund if you're not due one. Sometimes the first inkling a victim has occurs when that person attempts to file an electronic return, and the return is rejected because one is already on file. One particularly clever, or perhaps diabolical, ploy involves a multi-step process. The scammer files a tax return, and the taxpayer receives a refund check, or the refund is deposited to a bank account. Next, the taxpayer receives a recorded call that claims to be from the IRS. The message says the money must be returned or the IRS will have the person arrested. The victim is then told how to make the payment, but the money won't go to the IRS. You knew that already, didn't you? So if you've received a refund that you're not expecting, ignore phone calls that claim to be from the IRS. Why? The IRS doesn't call taxpayers. Instead, start by going to the IRS webpage regarding identity theft. There's a link to that page from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Next, review the steps that are on the IRS website for returning an erroneous refund payment. There's a link to that page, too. What makes the situation worse than usual, according to the IRS, is that several tax practitioners' computer files have been breached. Several thousand taxpayers may be at risk, and it's likely that number will increase. The agency is warning tax preparers that they need to be more vigilant than ever. I've included this week on the TechBiter Worldwide website some of the guidelines from the IRS for tax preparers. Interesting reading. The key point for taxpayers is this. The IRS will never use email or the phone to contact you. Initial contact is always made by mail, and depending on how serious the issue is, by certified mail. Filing early does offer some protections against scams, but the best protections are still caution, skepticism, and maybe a little bit of paranoia. From Microsoft's perspective, it has been a long three years, but Windows 10 is finally being used on more computers worldwide than Windows 7. As of January, StatCounter says about 43% of Windows computers worldwide were using Windows 10. Just under 42% had Windows 7 installed. A little over 11% had Windows 8. About 3.5% have Windows XP. And a little less than 1% are still stuck on Vista. If you look at just the United States, or most other countries in the developed world, you'll see that Windows 10 computers have outnumbered Windows 7 computers for the past year, and that Windows 10 usage is now above 50% of all computers with Microsoft operating systems. Microsoft is hoping that users, particularly corporate users, pick up the pace just a bit. The company wants to avoid repeating the Windows XP experience. In the United States, about 2% of computers are still using XP, but that probably doesn't include the U.S. Navy, which may still be using XP on some of its ships. StatCounter receives usage information from millions of websites. One of those websites happens to be this one. 
And the Navy's XP computers, of course, have no Internet access, so they wouldn't be counted. Official support for XP ended in 2014, but the Navy paid more than $30 million for continued support until the middle of last year. XP was launched in 2001, and despite the end of support for the operating system in 2014, usage didn't drop below 5% until last year worldwide. There's still support for spare parts, but only on the website. This week, the IRS and the Free File Alliance are once again providing free online tax filing resources for those with basic tax situations. Intel has released a new update for some of its CPUs to fix a security flaw. The new code is only for a subset of chips, and you will need to wait for the computer manufacturer to provide it. And the next generation of consumers seems to prefer online talking robots to making a trip to the store or visiting a website. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like... Send me an email from there. See you next week.